I'm Dawn Ennis. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. And welcome back to the Transporter Room. Hey, Carly, you were on an away mission in California, Southern California. What were you doing out there? Well, more accurately, I wasn't anywhere near a beach. I was in the woods. I was there for, I mean, one of the things I do when I'm not being, when I'm not being a podcast extraordinaire or being Don Ennis' protege is, I'm a staff operator for Trans Lifeline, and we had our staff retreat out in the woods in California. And needless to say, it was it was a very powerful, very productive, very enjoyable time. I mean, getting to meet a lot of our, our varied staff face-to-face, some of whom for the first time. And it was really special. We got a lot done, and we're going to use this in, as momentum to build a bigger, better, stronger org for 2020. Why don't you explain trans what Trans Lifeline is for those who don't know what Trans Lifeline is and why they, how they can contact them? Okay, the quick version. Uh, trans Lifeline began in 2014. It is North America's only 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week crisis help and support hotline that is staffed by trans people, ran by trans people, programmed for trans people, by trans people, of trans people. Every member of our staff is transgender. Uh, We have a network of staff operators, volunteers, and friends throughout the United States and Canada. And our goal is to better is to, is in a sense, we ourselves, we're going to, I mean, we're going to foster support at the grassroots of trans people, by trans people, for trans people. And that's what we do. And it's not just a suicide hotline. It's really for anyone in crisis who's trans. Is that right? It's not even just for, it, it's even beyond crisis, Dawn. It's, it's more or less for support for our people, for, for resources, for just a kind word just to get through the day. I mean, so many of our community live in isolation. And well, especially in to- states like New Hampshire, Washington, Georgia, Tennessee, and Missouri. If you yes. didn't see the news, we've got five states now in 2020 considering legislation to restrict transgender student athletes. You know, it's... Um, it's probably the most oppressive uh, attempt at doing this because they're really targeting um, these trans students. Um, it's just amazing to me how much momentum uh, seems to be growing, even though in 2019 and 2018, states have tried to uh, you know, accomplish this goal of, of oppression. And um, for the most part, uh, they've been defeated. Well, I can tell you this much, in Washington State and in New Hampshire, the state assemblies and state legislatures, the opposition against these bills are already growing and mounting. Those may not see the type of day. Missouri could be a, could be a toss-up. Georgia's is the most heinous because they're saying that not only will they restrict against transgender student-athletes, they will bar any school that allows a trans student to play on any team they will bar them access from any other schools, fields, locker rooms, stadiums, et cetera. So in effect, it's segregated. I mean, this is Lester Maddox thought of something like this <laughs> circa 1963 in Georgia. Yeah, That's separate but equal. This yeah. Oh, no, this you know, isn't even separate. This ain't no equal. I agree. You know, we've been um, campaigning, uh, for lack of a better word. We've been uh, working very hard to get the message out that transgender women are women and trans men are men. And that applies to girls and boys too. And one of the key architects of that message is Outsports co-founder, Sid Ziegler, who uh, just received a nomination along with me uh, for Outsports for his series about transgender athletes in women's sports. 
I happen to have his coordinates in Los Angeles. Why don't we beam him up to the transporter room? Sid, welcome. Well, thank you both. It's, I've never been beamed before. That's a, a unique <laughs> life experience. Okay, well, you want to get into your your personal habits, okay? This is this is a clean this is a clean podcast. Not <laughs> hey, 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 hey! Cut it out, you two. <laughs> See, can't take you two anywhere. Well, I got to say, having um, uh, worked with Sid for a few years, even before I became managing editor, having met him several times in person, having um, uh, meals with him and enjoyed uh, his company, I got to tell you, Sid is one of the greatest allies we've ever had in the uh, transgender movement, for lack of a better word. Um, Sid, why don't you tell us a little bit about your series, uh, which I was glad to edit and contribute to. Um, I'd like people to, to look it up and, and find out why it is you were doing what you did. I have seen, as we all have, vicious, uneducated, uninformed attacks on transgender athletes in women's sports for a while now. And I have to tell you that maybe 15 or 20 years ago, I would have been one of those people. But it's been over time meeting transgender people, playing with transgender athletes, listening to their life stories, talking to them, reading research, uh, and watching both sides of the debate, educating myself that I've come to a very different place today. And so, you know, last early last year, Don and Pete Volk at Fox Media and I were just kind of talking about what we can do about this. And I wanted to just start a series that looked at some of the criticisms people levy against trans women in women's sports and really, um, really investigate them and talk to people, whether it's, you know, what is fairness in, in, in sports? Um, why are athletes, trans athletes there? Because, you know, we see this nonsense that people transition so that they can win. Well, are they really there to win? And other things like that. And it's, it's, it's been eye-opening to me, even, even as somebody who is already coming from a place of support for trans athletes, that support has only grown just, just talking to people. As you did the, the series that you have just done, what's the one thing that has struck you about as far as the issue goes, as far as the hysteria, as far as the opposition Overall, what what struck you the most? I think it's the the last, the most recent piece that I wrote, talking to trans athletes, trans women in women's sports who are trying their hardest, and and either struggle to win or just can't win. They're just not the best, and I would say even from my position. Uh, I've still had in my head this idea that, well, trans athletes ultimately do have some kind of advantage, um, even and 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 debate is whether that advantage is fair or unfair. Um, you know, some people's advantage is height, some people's advantage is um, arm length. Uh, after talking with these people and realizing just how many trans women in women's sports, they are not anywhere near. The best, and some of them are, you know, some of them said, "I'm the worst person in my in my training group, and I'm the only trans woman. The rest are cisgender." So even even that really opened my eyes to my continued notion that there were just automatic advantages um, that I deemed fair. 
Uh, and the fact is that some of these athletes simply, they're, they're, an, an advantage does not exist, fair or unfair, full stop. So I think that was one of the things that I've really learned. I, I knew it before, but now I really understand just how right now rare it is to have a trans woman in women's sports uh, be at the higher levels. One of the things that... Um, at- one of the things opponents of transgender inclusion often suggest is something that would require trans athletes to compete against trans athletes, a league of their own, for lack of a better word, a trans only league. What are your thoughts on that, Sid? I want to offer mine before you speak only because I think we have a slight difference of opinion. I personally think it's, if it's wrong to require um, athletes of color, to compete only against athletes of color as it was in Jackie Robinson's day. I think it's wrong for trans athletes to have to compete only against trans athletes. I agree that race is nothing like gender repression in terms of, um, you know, racial inequality versus the transgender uh, discrimination that exists. But at the same time, I think there is a parallel at least that we can't decide that people should be segregated just because of their gender identity. But I know that you have a nuanced view of this, and I'd like to hear you explain it. Our conclusion is the same, Don. It's not a good idea. My my perspective, my approach is more practical. Number one, there just aren't enough trans athletes. You're essentially saying, well, you can't participate in sports because just, I mean, even in a even in a major city, to try to put together an all trans women basketball league, even even in New York City, would be difficult. So I, I think that number one, the, the numbers are not there to to support that. Number two, it's just not necessary. Again, from from if you really understand the medicine and human biology, and you look at history, and and it's simply unnecessary. So I I I, I understand what you're saying about about um. Uh, equality and equal access. And, and, and I, I don't disagree with that, but the, the crux of my main opposition to it is it's just, it's unnecessary and it's not realistic. Well, I'd like to counter both of you and just say, look, we've done, we've been to that argument before. It was called Plessy versus Ferguson. We've already been there in our history. It happened. I mean, when you talk about separation, you never get equal, and you certainly aren't going to get equal in this case. So I'm not buy I'm not buying that either. Um, now, what? Well, keep in mind. I, I will say this: that you know, that keep in mind that sports are segregated. Period. Full stop. Sports are segregated by gender, and so, so yes, we have um, separate cannot be equal. Except we have all agreed that that we are going to separate sports. And I don't think we should erase that. I don't think the gender barrier should be, should be erased because I don't want men competing with women either. And I just happen to think that trans women are women and trans men are men. Um, I'm not well, opposed though. I'm not opposed though. So if there was a really fantastic punter who wanted to play for the NFL and she happened to be a woman, I wouldn't be opposed to that. I wouldn't either, but but that but that goes back into a whole different question for me. And that question for me is, 
why we must con why must we consistently put women's athletics in a male lens? I mean, we I we always as being inferior. You mean? Yeah. Well, yes. At one level, yes. Why can't we? Our biggest issue in this in our society is not so much that segregation between between gender. It is a matter that we is that everything that we everything a woman does we have to look at it through a male lens and that's especially prevalent in sports i mean perfect example every time every time UConn women's basketball goes on one of their long meteoric streaks where they win 90 100 110 games in a row it's a problem it's one of two things one everybody has to look at it in terms of well how does this compare to when the men to when men's teams do it or it's inferior because it's it's harder to do in men's yada 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 or on the other hand it's it's a matter that something's wrong in women's sports when one team is that dominant when the fact of the matter is we're just seeing greatness or the women's soccer seeing, team yeah oh yes i mean it's always about oh oh god that's an even i mean that's an even greater example the whole equal pay versus equal work argument for the U.S. Women's National National Soccer Team, when the fact is, when you want to talk about equal pay for equal work, there's no question women ought to be making more. Because how many people have a Sasha Klistan jersey? Not many. <laughs> Not many. How many now? How many people, regardless of gender, regardless of orientation, whatever, are rocking a Megan are rocking Megan Rapinoe's number? Including me, hundreds of thousands, probably millions, have a 15 jersey in their closet, and for good reason. Why should that be put in a mail when clearly the performance speaks for itself? That is isn't just that's more that that's beyond a sports issue. That's a societal issue, and it's only going to be only going to be changed when we really refocus our view of gender and our our view of gender in our society as a whole. I project we'll do that around the time we celebrate the twenty, the two hundredth anniversary of the Nineteenth Amendment. I, I, I take a um, well. I, I agree with you. I think it takes time, but I know again. <laughs> I remember going to college. I went to Stanford, and they had uh, the the best women's basketball team in the country. And I remember the first time watching women's basketball, even at that level, I was like, "No, this isn't as fun." And it took me just getting used to watching it from a different perspective. And now I watch the entire WNBA finals. I didn't watch the entire NBA finals. And I, I, my eye and my mind have come to enjoy it because it's used to it. And I think that the more exposure we get just for women's sports, soccer and tennis and, and basketball, I think as that, as that, goes on and it's, and it's increasing all the time that people will naturally just become more used to watching sports differently watching basketball where every other every other point is in a dunk and all these different things so it's just it's just, it's just getting used to watching the sport from a different perspective and, and i and i honestly i think it will i think i personally think it will naturally take its course of course it will take far longer than we want well sid i'm going to disagree with you a little bit I always thought Jennifer Azy was rather fun to watch, especially when she was breaking USC, breaking the entire USC's um, backcourts, ankles back in the day at Stanford. Again, it took it, it took me it took me time to just watch it and understand it. It's it's kind of like um, I last year I tried watching an American football game with somebody from Europe, 
they were bored to tears. So they didn't understand it. And while men's basketball, women's basketball, you talk about watching women's basketball through a men's lens. That's what I had to stop doing. And as I watched women's basketball, I naturally stopped doing that. And so that's, I mean, 100%, the Stanford, the Stanford teams were incredibly entertaining and, and were, were excellent. It just took me time to just understand how to watch it because it is different. Well, that sound means we have to take a break. When we come back, Sid, we're going to talk about Fallon Fox, the first trans woman in the MMA. And we want to hear about your latest interview with her, plus a little controversy involving Fallon and me. We'll be right back with more The Transporter Room. And we're back in The Transporter Room. Sid Ziegler, the maestro about sports, back with us. And Sid, uh, you have you recently had an interview with Fallon Fox, the MMA, MMA trailblazer. And just... What was your general opi- uh, opinions of that interview? And also, what's your thoughts on a little dust-up between Ms. Fox and a certain Ms. Don Ennis? Well, I love Fallon Fox. I-, I was one of the two people who wrote her coming out story. Gosh, what was that? 2013. 2013. Yep, yeah, 2013. So Same year as me. I've known Fallon for a long time. I've worked with Fallon for a long time. And I'm I'm a huge fan of Fallon. I think she's a, a true hero. People, I think people either weren't aware or have forgotten what she went through in 2013 and 14, just trying to get the right to compete, which which she did. And so it was just nice to catch up with her. I hadn't, I hadn't talked with her in, frankly, a few years. She had kind of disappeared from the radar. I, I think somewhat intentionally, and I just, you know, I kind of left her alone because it looked like she just didn't want the uh, want much attention. And now she's back, and and it was just nice to to talk with her. Um, you know, as far as any dust up between Outsports and Fallon, you know, we uh, we unintentionally, I think, just left her off of a list, and she didn't like it, and she let us know, and. I, I uh, you know, after talking with her on the phone, I, I don't think there's going to be any uh, big issues going forward. She understands the work we do is important, that we support her and trans women and women's sports. And um, different people have different uh, sets of opinions. And, and sometimes we make mistakes. And, and I think that Outsports has a, a pretty good history of uh, making amends when we do. In retrospect, I think we made an error. And we did. And I admitted as much in our last podcast. And I'm very grateful that she accepted my apology. We also, um, you know, should note two things. One is that when the balloting was finished between yourself and co-founder Jim Bozinski and myself, you actually placed her in the top 20. And unfortunately, I had her on the other side of that little uh, dividing line. We belatedly offered uh, some consolation to Fallon by naming her our Outsports Bravery Award winner for the decade. And I do think that she is a symbol of bravery, both in how she handled herself in public and in the ring. But, you know, it was a mistake. And um, I want to give Fallon also credit because she didn't just come to us saying, hey, you left me out. But she was right. We didn't name a single trans woman athlete in our top 20. We named two trans men. And that's an oversight. And it's something that we will I think we've proven that we are advocates for trans inclusion and 
I certainly am, you know, <laughs> a big supporter of that. But as I explained to Fallon, I think one of the things I have trouble with is I can't be seen as putting my thumb on the scale. I can't be seen as as stacking the deck against um, opponents of trans inclusion. And I know that we suffered incredible blowback for our year-end awards by not naming a single cisgender woman to our um, list of female uh, winners. It was uh, J.C. Cooper and Kezra Semenya for Heroes and C.C. Telfer for the best female athlete. And I think that, you know, part of my mistake was uh, maybe unintentional and inadvertent and unconscious awareness of that blowback. It's hard. It's really hard to be in a position where you get to make the choices. And, uh, you know, I'll take responsibility for making that bad one. I personally don't think we made a mistake with the female athletes or heroes of the year. I think that we was very um, intentional on our part. And despite the blowback, I would make, I personally would make the same choice. I know that Don, you have unfortunately experienced blowback from uh, some anti-trans bigots that was very personal in nature. And that is just breaks my heart to see. And, and uh, you know, unfortunately putting ourselves out there uh, in 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 support of of the people who look like us and are like us, sometimes we have to take that. We have to we have we we get punched in the face. And I was just that was my only regret from that is that you had to experience such personal nasty attacks. Well, I hate to say it. I guess I'm used to it. <laughs> yeah. Anybody who thinks that Dawn is not about this, and I heard some people who said that. Dawn's not serious about this issue, et cetera, et cetera, doesn't know her story. So a lot of the attacks, in fact, all the attacks on Dawn were completely unwarranted. And secondly, what everyone needs to realize is when you pick the type of top 20 that, that you all selected, honestly, someone's going to get left on the cutting room floor. Someone's going to be unhappy. This is not an easy thing to do. I mean, it, and and if nothing else, this inspires debate. It inspires conversation. Should Fallon Fox been on that list? Yes, she should have. I mean, I look at the top 20 list and there were certain people that I was like, no, I probably would let them on, let them off. But you know what? Everyone's going to have a different viewpoint. But I'll I'll say this for the record right now. Look at what's coming up as far as what we're seeing and the potential of what we're seeing in the next decade. It's going to be it's going to be a very different conversation. It's going to be who of the of the larger numbers are going to be let in because the the train of inclusion in athletics, in business, in academia, in life, this isn't going to stop. This train's only going to get rolling stronger and better than ever. So to those who want to get in the way of this, um, move, get out the way. There's nothing you can do to stop it. The inclusion train has left the station and she's picking up steam. <laughs> I love it. You know, maybe I should just change my story. Actually, I purposely left trans women off to generate more clicks. <laughs> it was a devious plan and it worked. <laughs> so Sid, you have your own podcast, Five Rings to Rule Them All. And I'd like to find out what you're planning for your next episode on Monday and what else is in the hopper for you in terms of outsports. Well, yes, thanks. Every, every week I talk with an LGBTQ person in and around the Olympic Games. The next up is going to be Randy Gardner. It is figure skating season, and Randy 
and his skating partner, Ty Babylonia, were in the 1976 Winter Olympics. They were favorites to win gold in 1980 in Lake Placid, but an injury unfortunately kept them out. So um, very, very popular skating duo from the late 70s and early 80s. So Rand- Randy, who's openly gay, is going to join me. And, uh, and he, was, he was one of our guest speakers at Outsports Pride this past year. And that's kind of what I'm working a lot on now is, is bringing Outsports Pride to Philadelphia in the middle of June, where we'll have, uh, we'll have a series of speakers and panels. We'll, right now, the plan is to um, join the Phillies for a baseball game. And we have some other things planned with Philadelphia Pride that we're laying the groundwork for. So. Uh, Philadelphia, June 11th to 14th. Put it on your calendar. Everybody's welcome. And it's going to be a great weekend. When will you be releasing more information about what we'll see and what you can attend, uh, what events will be happening? Uh, in February. I Between now and then, I'm going on an Atlantis cruise and we have the Super Bowl. So um, that's going to take up a good amount of time. But after, in, in I, early to mid-February, we'll have more information about registering and hotels and all that kind of stuff. That's exciting. I'm really excited. I've been able to attend two Outsports Prides, New York and Los Angeles, and I got to say, it is a wondrous event and very, very pleased that you are continuing um, this tradition. And how many years have you been doing Outsports Pride? This will be the fifth one. We've been to uh, the Midwest, the Mountain States, the Northeast, the West Coast, and we're headed back to the Northeast this year in Philadelphia. So we we try to move it around the country. Uh, every year we have a slew of people wanting us just to keep it in the Northeast corridor. Uh, but that we gotta, you know, move it around and we get different faces depending on where we end up. And I will promise our podcast listeners that there will be some podcast component to Outsports sports pride. I'll find a way, whether it be me or one of our other Outsports podcasters, uh, we're going to have a podcast from Outsports pride in Philadelphia. And I'm excited about that. Um, well, that's you know, on my calendar. I tell you that right now. I'm, that's awesome. I, 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 we'll take the train down, you and me. You and me, we'll take the train down. Hey, we could do this. Unless you don't want to take a train with me. No, <laughs> Unless you don't want to take it. a train with me. Hey, <laughs> hey, if it's the, if it's the Acela, I'm all for it. Can you just beam her down there, Don? Yeah. I could beam yeah, her down, have, but you know, we have the technology. I just, I, I have to save that for the guests. <laughs> yeah, I know. We all have I tried beaming yeah, her last we week to... from California. And look what happened. See, it didn't work. <laughs> so your theme, our theme is science fiction. Your theme is Lord of the Rings and, and the whole um, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien uh, fantasy world. Uh, in terms of Olympics, of course, um, you, you, you combine those two things. We combine trans inclusion with sci-fi. Do you have any sci-fi special interest, uh, Sid? Is there something you enjoy? Well, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with Star Wars. That has continued into my adulthood. I will say that there have been a couple of moments in the Star Wars saga, um, Rogue One, The Mandalorian on Disney+, Plus, that have really, I felt, uh, recaptured my interest in it and my love for it. But a lot of the stuff that the last six films um, just have, for the most part, failed to live up to what Star Wars was when George Lucas created it. So my interest has waned a bit, but, you know, I'm still a sucker for it. I'll still go see if 
if Ray can take down the Emperor or not. And did you see Rise of Skywalker? I did. I did. I know you. I know you really liked it, and I. I just. I just. There were so many moments when I rolled my eyes. <laughs> I don't think I, I haven't done that since Phantom Menace. So I. Uh, I started. <laughs> I. I. I saw it twice, and I actually liked it better the second time because the first time I rolled my eyes. And my little boy who's 13 loved it. He thought it was the best one ever. And I was like, no, Rogue One, Empire, those are the best ones. But yeah. um, I saw I saw a lot of problems in um, Rise of Skywalker. And Carly, what was your opinion? I remember we talked about this before, but I, I, I think you're more of a fangirl than I am. I, I just took it for what it was. I mean... In a sense, this was it. There was a lot of homage to the lot to all the past films in one way or another. I, for me, yeah, I fangirled a little bit more. I'll admit to it. I just kind of took it for what I really just decided I was going to go in there and say I'm going to take this for what it is because there will nothing. There will be there. There will never be another film like the first three. There will never be that. I mean, because that's when George Lucas was young fresh with ideas and was hungry to, to make a mark. And that's what, and that heart and that hunger is where those first three films came from. The second three films, really episodes one, two, and three, George Lucas did those, but he was distracted. He was in the middle of a divorce. He was fighting over money, the future of Lucasfilm, the future of industrial light and magic. He was a distracted auteur and it showed in the first two. Now, now number three was, be- was beautiful. It was easily the best run of the three. And then, and then from this current group, you had three different directors, three different cinematic visions, three different ways of doing things, three different interpretations of the canon. And you know how they say that too many cooks spoil the broth? Well, too many cooks got in the, got in the pot of this one. And the biggest cook of all was the mouse because the mouse was writing the checks. And when you write the checks, you get to do it your way. And the Disney way was never quite the Lucasfilm way. Now on the other side, the Mandalorian I think is great, and oh, I love it. Together, oh yeah, Rogue One. If they did more stuff like Rogue One, it'd be wonderful. I'd love to see them do a few more just one-offs. I mean, more Rogue Ones, less solos, please and thank you. <laughs> but overall, I mean, so overall, I mean, I just took it for what I just took this last film for what it was. It was just, it was going to be simple. It was going to be mind candy. It was going to bring in the fanboys and the fangirls like me. It did. Yeah, fan yeah. service. Yeah, fan service. Yeah. Sid, my, my my favorite Star Wars movie is Rogue One. I that movie to me is so well done, storytelling, character building, um, and almost all of them were characters we'd never even heard of before. And my least favorite was Solo. That was such a mess. And I just, I like you said, I wish they could do they would do more of Rogue One, more. What what the what the successful Star Wars movies are intimate, and this Rise of Skywalker is so huge. It, it, was, it was again, it was what it was the same mistake they made with the with the um, Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. I agree with you. Revenge of the Sith is pretty good, but yeah. more Rogue One, less Solo. I agree. If you ever get a chance on YouTube to search pitch meeting, there's a guy who does the pitch meeting for. Um, popcorn movies like Star Wars movies and it's hilarious what he does with Rise of Skywalker um, it's just great 
So I'll <laughs> give him a little plug there. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll plant it on our Facebook page. Sid, this has been an extreme pleasure having you as our first guest of 2020. And to close out um, all the controversies and to look forward to greater trans inclusion stories. And I don't think your series is done. I think there's going to be more. I, I really do believe that there's more to say. Oh, there are more coming. <laughs> I, I know of at least two. It, so yes, more are coming. And congratulations on the nomination. I'm very glad to share it with you. As I said, I'm willing to just be the arm candy. <laughs> but I'm uh, very excited for the, uh, the nomination. And maybe this will be the one we finally win after uh, so many nominations. And uh, I'm just so proud to have Carly on our team, um, for you to um, be such a great ally, and for us to be able to share these stories of our listeners. So thank you. Let's keep telling stories. That's how we change hearts and minds. Agreed. All right, setting coordinates for Los Angeles. Bye-bye, Sid. Beaming you down. Glad to have you back. Well, it's good to be back. And once again, I, I want to say one more time, just for the record, you didn't deserve any of the crap you got. And, well, and I, mm, found, I found it horrible. And, I know. But, it is horrible. And, and I don't think people understand that there's a person behind the handle. And, uh, you know, I think it hurt um, to have people, you know, dredge up old pictures of me. But it was worse. The worst part was seeing um, that my late wife was dredged up and, you know, she didn't want any part of this. And it's just not fair to her memory to have people um, bring that stuff up. It just makes me sad. No, it's not. It's, it's, to me, it's just rotten. And it's just rotten. And, the, and some of the worst blows came from our own. And that's the yeah. thing that sticks in my craw is that yeah. I, can, I can understand some i can understand people being upset with some of the decisions that are being made but at the same time like i said earlier when when you're looking at the top 20 anytime there's a top 20 list 21 is always going to think we was robbed and, that's and just sid how predicted it, is. it sid predicted well and even and even in a situation like like this one where we made the mistake we owned up to it i mean yes, we, we did. owned We're up human to beings. it it's, yeah yeah exactly yeah. you owned up to it now, personally, my feeling is we can disagree, but we got to disagree civilly here. And that's yeah. the thing that sticks with me is that all well, that let, vitriol wasn't worth it. Wasn't, yeah. wasn't worth it. No. No, I agree. Let's uh, say goodbye. Uh, this is Don Ennis. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. It's great to be back. Steady as she goes, Mr. Sulu. Mm-hmm.